I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. This is a special episode in regards to what's happening and what's unfolding uh, on Thursday as we're recording this. Uh, for anyone who hasn't uh, heard the news yet, Chelsea, Kartik, this this is major. Like, So for anyone who's missed the news thus far, uh, what's the latest? What, what's happening at uh, Chelsea Football Club? So Chris, at Chelsea, there's been speculation now for, what, two weeks since the Russian invasion of Ukraine that there would be some sort of move by the UK government to seize Roman Abramovich's assets. And the first set of sanctions came down. It looked like the oligarchs were not being treated in the UK quite as harshly as they were being treated in EU countries, right? We, we saw Usmanov's yacht, and of course, Usmanov has a significant investment in Everton, used to be on the board uh, at Ar- or was never really on the board at Arsenal, but tried to take over the Arsenal board uh, via an alliance with David Dean, and anyone who knows Premier League history knows how important David Dean is. But Usmanov got his yacht seized, right, in, in, in Germany. And there was a lot of pressure building on the UK government to do something about Abramovich, even though a week ago he put Chelsea up for sale. And what happened is Thursday morning, UK time, Boris Johnson's government acted. And in fact, Abramovich's assets have been seized. This includes Chelsea Football Club, which is his most visible and probably critical asset, even from a financial standpoint, in the UK. And what has happened effectively is I'll give you the short summary. So Chelsea cannot uh, buy or sell players. Chelsea cannot sell tickets. Chelsea cannot sell merchandise. Now, there are season card holders at Stamford Bridge who have tickets already uh, to Chelsea matches at the bridge. Those tickets will be honored. And of course, um, Business will continue as usual because the UK government has given special dispensation to Chelsea Football Club to continue operations in a very limited fashion. So they can uh, try to fulfill their fixtures. And as we record this on Thursday morning, US time, they have announced, the club has announced they will fulfill their fixtures on both the men's and women's side today. The men's uh, match against Norwich, the women's match against West Ham United. And uh, they are also in a position where they and this has been reported i have a little more detail on it they uh will continue to get their television revenue from the fa from the premier league and from uefa now what i've been told by 
uh, a source uh, who uh, said it was on the record, so I'm going to give it on the record, is that that money will be placed in a special account. So Chelsea may not be able to access that money without, again, going to the UK government, that television revenue, going to the UK government and saying, hey, we need this money to continue operations because we're not allowed to sell tickets. We're not allowed to sell players. We're not allowed to hire new staff. So that is uh, that's the position they're in. And we've already seen a uh, massive reaction to this. And I thought really interesting. Jamie Carragher comes out with a tweet, Chris, and says, now is for the time for Man United to strike. Tuchel is on the market. Get him now. Uh, and we could see things like that happen, uh, quite honestly. Uh, Chelsea cannot sell players, but I think if someone uh, terminates their contract, they would probably be allowed to walk away. So we're in the limbo, though, here, Kartik, because uh, so like you mentioned, Chelsea can't sell tickets to uh, any future games. Uh, they can't sell merchandise. And at the same time, Abramovich uh, can't sell the club because because even if he does sell the club, those assets will, will be that money will would be frozen. Um, so it, in some ways, it appears that it could be a fire sale happening pretty soon yeah. where investors look at this and say, hey, we can get Chelsea at a cut price deal because of uh, uh, Abramovich's uh, situation here. So instead of the, the $4 billion that uh, uh, Roman was, was kind of wanting, maybe you can get it for you mean, $1.5 billion to $2, $2 billion perhaps. But um, but then that money then would be frozen, so that would not go to Roman. That would effectively be confiscated by the UK government, and then they can decide what to do with that money. So my question, Kartik, is: I mean, you're very up on politics, and and you have a lot of connections with Chelsea and a lot of sources. What is? I mean, and, and the reason for this is is uh, I mean, we have to make clear too that Roman. Uh, uh, Abramovich has ties to uh, Vladimir Putin. They are close friends. Uh, they are compatriots. They they are they know each other very very well, and the link is very close in terms of that. And that's why the UK government is, is stamping the foot and saying uh, stamping down on this. But what's the retali- the retaliation from Russia? Because you can imagine uh, Abramovich is absolutely furious at this. Putin would be too. What's the type of Russian retaliation that we can see from this? Like, what, what would you say that w- what we could expect? I, I don't know that they have any cards to play economically. And, and Abramovich, uh, le- le- I'll, I'll try and balance this out a little bit. I'm not going to balance it out totally. I, I'm, I'm very much in, in support of the UK government's actions personally. But Abramovich, it can be argued, uh, while he was very instrumental in Putin taking power, he was very instrumental in Boris Yeltsin prior to that keeping power. In fact, allegedly... Uh, sort of blackmailed Yeltsin, uh, giving him, uh, helping him with his re-election campaign and then allowing, and then Yeltsin turned a blind eye to everything that Abramovich was doing to accumulate wealth. And then Abramovich helped put Putin in power, helped convince Yeltsin this is the man. And then after that, uh, Abramovich has been described by some observers as sort of the uh, the son, right? The, the, the prodigal son uh, of Putin. Now, there are reports that since the invasion, the first invasion of Ukraine, right, the invasion of Crimea and the uh, what we believe, the Western intelligence believes was a Russian invasion of Donbass and Donetsk and those those areas of eastern Ukraine. Now, of course, the Russians have always alleged that it's separatist activity, pro-Russian separatist activity, but there are no Russian troops. I don't think anyone 
everyone in the West believes that. But uh, that Putin may have Putin and Abramovich might have had a cooling because uh, Roman saw it was not in his interests to continue to align as closely with the Kremlin. Um, and also Chelsea Football Club being an asset in the United Kingdom was something that uh, the Russian government couldn't take from him, right? Putin couldn't take Chelsea Football Club from him, so his money was safe in the UK. Now, as it's, uh, the irony is now the UK government has acted against him. But let's not forget in 2010, when Russia won the World Cup, when they, uh, uh, th- when they shocked well, the world. The yeah, won the bid. Uh, shocked, shocked the world by by convincing FIFA. Uh, they beat uh, the joint bid of Spain and Portugal on the final ballot. Remember, and uh, there was wide shock that the previous night there had been a dinner which involved Sepp Blatter, Vladimir Putin, and Roman Abramovich and other FIFA delegates that apparently twisted some arms for people who were going to vote for Spain and Portugal or vote for England to vote for Russia. And that remains, I think, a huge talking point in the world of football, that when at the, at the moment where Ru- Russia and Putin needed Abramovich the most so that they could continue their sport-washing operation or actually intensify their sport-washing operation and convince FIFA to bring the World Cup to Russia instead of having it in wh- wherever in Western Europe, England, Spain, wherever, uh, they, uh, Abramovich was there for Putin. Yeah, and and convinced is probably uh, you mean an interesting uh, t- term of phrase in terms right. of that uh, you can imagine that, what it actually went on at that dinner. Right. Yeah, and the same thing for Qatar too. Now, Kartik, in this situation with Chelsea, you mean if this drags on, this is going to be, I mean, completely disastrous for the club in terms of you mean Chelsea is a football club that's in debt, and 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 Roman's running the club, and and in terms of yes, they're bringing large amounts of money, but already sponsors are starting to even the shirt sponsor is starting to reevaluate the situation, so they could lose sponsors. But in terms of revenue, in terms of money coming in enough to play, pay the players and the staff and keep the club running. The club has to sell pretty soon, pretty quickly, in order to kind of flip it and 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 you know, have a an American NFL owner or whoever maybe come in at a bargain, get the get the club, and then uh, normalcy returns. But you mean what would happen if this drags on for a while? Could you see foresee bigger issues? Yeah, certainly, because I I, I think what will happen is there'll be enough TV money that maybe the UK government. Uh, excuse me, will allow a a uh, continued atta- uh, access to that escrow account or whatever kind of account it is. I'm not clear on what kind of account it is, I, but but it's something like an escrow. It'll be something that's there uh, off, off kind of on the side, which can be accessed at, at whatever time. Now, I do have to say public opinion in the West is, is hardening and intensifying against Russia. So uh, the, the UK government taking a week longer than the French and German governments to act against Russian oligarchs is an indication of how much harder public opinion is becoming. We're seeing this in the United States also. A lot of people two weeks ago, friends of mine that were arguing with me, giving me pro-Putin arguments and anti-Western arguments now have really cooled their rhetoric. I mean, either they've moved on to other things or, they're, uh, or they've just disappeared, right? Because it, it, you can't defend uh, – genocide is indefensible, right? So 
as public opinion continues to harden in the West, which is happening, I think there could be another shooter drop. The UK government may may may, may seize the club outright. The UK government may, uh, may may really make this difficult for Chelsea to operate. And as you indicated earlier, Chris, and I think it's very li- uh, likely the way public opinion is moving, unless there's some sort of boomerang effect against Ukraine and, and uh, they, they, there's a softening of, of, of the views towards this conflict, that uh, the UK government could take the proceeds from the sale. Uh, Abramovich has said publicly he wants to give proceeds to to uh, to those who are victims of the war, but I don't think anyone really believes that or or believes that was anything more than a public ruse at the moment to get pressure off his back. So, Karthik, what about the the American angle here? So, you've got um, the UK government coming down hard on on this, which is I mean, is a a billionaire, is an oligarch, but at the same time. Uh, Abramovich owns property in New York City, as do a lot of other Russian oligarchs. You've got the owner of DAZN, who uh, is is a Russian oligarch, uh, who also owns a lot of property in New York around Central Park, uh, in buildings that are worth millions of dollars. What do you think that the U.S. reaction would be? Do you think there's an, a, a possibility of um, the U.S. freezing some of these uh, Russian oligarchs' money in, in the United States? I don't know what's taken so long. Yeah, I, I think there's a possibility. But to me, I don't want to get too deep into the politics of this, but I think both uh, both Republicans and Democrats, and we've seen a lot of Republicans here in Florida that have ties, there's a lot of Russian money floating around Florida, as I think most of our listeners know. And uh, and a lot of the oligarchs have parked their money in the Miami area. That uh, they, There are people who've gotten money from Russian oligarchs or from Russian interests who don't want to act. They want to talk about... Uh, supporting Ukraine and uh, standing with uh, in solidarity with the Ukrainian people, but yet they don't want to do anything that's going to hurt any Russian oligarch in this country. And I, and I see a lack of will among Democrats, too. I'm, I'm picking on Republicans because of Florida, but I think nationally there's a lack of will among a lot of Democrats to actually seize these assets, uh, cut off people that have given them campaign contributions or done favors for them in the past. Now, I have to say the assumption was until today there was that lack of will in the United Kingdom, too. You had a lot of uh, critics out there saying, well, this is because of all the money that's been parked in London through the years and all the money that's flowed into uh, Tory campaign coffers, etc. But the, the the Tory government now has acted decisively and I, and I think correctly. So maybe that's a, a harbinger of what's going to happen in the U.S. I'm also told by um, a legal source of mine that uh, the U.S. government had pressured uh, the UK government specifically on Abramovich and Chelsea. Now, I don't I can't verify that, but it's a really good source who would know. And I, I that kind of is interesting to me because I think. And this is fortunate and unfortunate. I guess this is the unfortunate thing for Abramovich directly. Chelsea is the most visible of these assets in the world, these Russian oligarch-controlled assets. So the U.S. government, while they're not acting on some of the Russian oligarchs who have property and assets in the U.S., they know from a public relations and visibility standpoint, Chelsea is the most visible thing that Westerners associate with Russian oligarchs and people connected to Putin. So uh, uh, the Biden administration had wanted uh, the British government to act on Chelsea, uh, act against Chelsea, and they have, uh, per this one source. So, so back to the television coverage and back to soccer. And and at this time, I mean, the politics do bleed it into this uh, big time. But but from last weekend, we watched a lot of uh, soccer from around the world. We watched, I mean, if you were like me, Kartik, you probably watched a bunch of Premier League matches, Serie A matches, Bundesliga matches, maybe an MLS game here or there. Um, 
And it's it's interesting too in terms of just watching how the different leagues are either embracing support for Ukraine or being relatively silent. And we, we talked a little bit about this in last week's podcast. Um, some of the things I, I, I know you saw a lot, Kartik, in terms of leagues uh, officially uh, supporting Ukraine and uh, basically football stands together and those types of things. What were your impressions? What did you see? You mean who's doing it right? Who's who's not doing it? So, so uh, ESPN, great job with the Bundesliga. They had the pregame show with Kay Murray and, and uh, Jermaine Jones. They embrace the new Bundesliga logo in Ukrainian colors. They had the score bug uh, in the corner with the Ukrainian flag uh, or the Ukrainian flag colors on the Bundesliga logo. Uh, they did it right. Now, NBC... Again, I I know NBC does put their own graphics, which we're thankful they do because they they do a great job with the graphics and the production of graphics uh, on uh, overlay that on top of the Premier League productions, what the feed they get from Premier League production. They strip the Premier League production graphics and put NBC graphics over it. But this weekend uh, – and they don't strip the NBC, uh, the the Premier League production graphics on Peacock. Let me mention that. So this is how we we saw the difference. So on Peacock, games that were feeding through had the Premier League logo in the corner with a Ukrainian flag around it, very visible, very obvious. Now NBC, in their production of every match that was shown on USA Network or on NBC over the air this weekend, took that graphic off. And I, I understand that's what they normally do, but I think in this case, they they should have left it on unless there's another reason why Comcast feels like they don't want to offend uh, uh, Russia or, or pro-Russian sentiment in the U.S., which, as I said, is minimizing. It was there. Don't, don't get me wrong. It was there two weeks ago, and I was having some really vicious arguments with people, maybe lost a friend or two over it. But um, I think it, it, by the time these Premier League matches rolled around this past weekend, it was minimizing. Um also saw the EFL go all in with their coverage. Uh, I know you watched, uh, may, may have watched that that Swansea Fulham match the other day, uh, Chris. They went all in with the colors. The colors of the uh, EFL crest have been changed, uh, like the Bundesliga. But it's 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 uh, a little harder to do with the EFL uh, crest, honestly. So I think they did a great job. They've changed the color of their crest to uh, Ukrainian flag colors, and and. Uh, so that was good. Now, I didn't see as much in uh, in La Liga and Serie A, which kind of bothered me, or maybe I just missed it, but it didn't seem like it was as overt, the demonstrations of solidarity with Ukraine. That having been said, the Ukrainian players who were playing in Serie A have been really embraced by the crowds there. So uh, it clearly there is public sentiment on their side, but maybe the league a little less uh, aggressive in, in, in identifying with the cause. Yeah, I think La Liga has definitely uh, been very active. I mean, it, so when they first, they were probably one of the first ones with the Bundesliga and had the uh, stop war on the, um, yeah, the, the yeah. sports bug or, or the, at the top, where the score bug, I'm sorry. Uh, I think last week they had something a little bit different. I think it said um, stop invasion or, or something similar along those lines. So, so they, and then pre match, oftentimes you'll see. Um, Kind of the teams getting together and maybe sharing a, uh, I mean, whether it's a flag or something in in support of of Ukraine, and then in the crowds, of course, you're seeing some uh, Ukrainian flags uh, in some of the games. Major League Soccer is still still a strange one to me because um, they seem to be very apolitical. That it seems to be nothing. I, I know they sent out a, a, a tweet maybe a week ago saying that uh, 
they were in support of Ukraine or at least something along those lines. Um, but nothing really organized as far as I can see in some of the matches I watched. I didn't watch all of them. Yes, there are, are some teams that definitely are wearing shirts and, um, and and doing things, but it doesn't seem to be kind of a league-wide effort. It seems to be more on a club-by-club basis. Uh, it is interesting. It is interesting to watch it. And maybe NBC was thinking, okay, if we put the Ukrainian flag on the screen, maybe that is perceived as being anti-Russian and is going to offend our Premier League fans who watch NBC who are Russian. Maybe that's their take on it. I don't or Chelsea fans, because quite yeah. frankly, uh, I have to interject this, unfortunately, Chris. I mean, I, I heard some stories, of, actually just from one person, but I heard stories uh, from Turf Moor this past week while Burnley was doing uh, their their uh, uh, stand with Ukraine and, and stop war demonstration before the match. And actually, Burnley had gone more all out than some other clubs in England. They had uh, uh, put... Ukrainian flags in the concourses and stuff at Turf Moor, that there was a loud contingent of Chelsea supporters, not by not means, by all means, not the, the, the majority or, or even more than like 20%, but there was a contingent of Chelsea fans that were uh, shouting Abramovich's name and uh, chanting pro-Russian slogans. So maybe NBC is the smart one here and realizes there are Chelsea fans even in the US that have some sort of attachment to Russia because of Abramovich. Maybe they've done the well, market research, which well, you have to remember Christian Pulisic, right? So, I mean, NBC is kind of a golden boy, so they don't want to upset the Chelsea fans in any way. And, uh, I mean, that, that makes things uh, difficult if there's, I mean, who knows, right, what NBC is thinking there. But uh, it, it's not a good look, I, I don't think. I mean, it's if you took a, took a poll of the, the United States right now and asked how many people were uh, in favor or kind of pro-Ukraine, um versus uh pro russia i think the, the the results would be pretty pretty uh pretty outstanding in terms of in favor of uh ukraine i'm trying to think if there's anything else Kartik, from uh from this past week i mean that i mean that's the thing i mean is is it's ironic too with the premier league and and you've talked about this in the last several weeks is that the the premier league right now is the league to watch uh just a really fascinating uh title race and a relegation race to avoid relegation uh, other than Serie A. Serie A is still, I mean, second or third season in a row. Just really, really, really good. However, having said all that, the Premier League's coverage on NBC is probably probably the lowest it's been since they've started covering the league in 2013. And there's two main reasons for that. One is that NBCSN is no more. So they have fewer choices, fewer opportunities to go ahead and put games on television. And at the same time, then, also the Olympics followed by the Paralympics, which means that there's less games on USA um, and more games on on Peacock. And also even the games that are on USA Network, there's no pregame for a lot of these games. It's basically if it's a Saturday game, uh, you know, 12.30 kickoff, even if it is on USA or, or say, say it's a 10 a.m. Uh, kickoff. It's basically no coverage. There's no pregame coverage for a lot of the games, not all the games, especially the midweek games. The midweek games are on the USA Network. If the game kicks off at 3 o'clock, uh, the coverage starts at 3 o'clock. And, and it, yeah. it, it's, it's not good. It's, it, to me, it's um, – I mean, to me, like, so what's the point of having Peacock, right? Peacock was supposed to be – we were told that Peacock would be getting more coverage. You would have more – uh, pre-game, you'd have more opportunity to be more flexible to show more coverage on, on Peacock, and, and we're not getting that. 
Yeah, and it could still get be really good because on Monday night or Monday evening U.S. time after the Everton uh, debacle against Spurs, which ended 5-0, I mean, thankfully for Everton's sake, uh, Spurs didn't hit double digits. They really could have the way that match was going. I mean, they missed a lot of a lot of good chances, actually. Um, there was a really good post-match show with Paul Burmeister hosting and uh, Danny Higginbottom and former Everton former decade-long Everton player, Tim Howard, that was really good, really in-depth, really thoughtful. So it's not like they can't do this stuff. It's just that they seem unwilling to. And uh, in that case, they did it, to their credit. I thought that was real a really good post-match show. But uh, more often than not, they're not giving us that level of analysis anymore. So it's not that they're not capable of it. It's not that they don't have the personnel uh, at their disposal to do it. They still do. They just... They mailed it in a lot of times. And by the way, this weekend, you, I know you're really aware of this, Chris, because your, your traffic is probably miserable. That's why you're getting out of town. Players' Championship starts today uh, in, in Ponte Vedra, which is the biggest event on the golf calendar outside of the Grand Slam event. So, uh, and that is an NBC event. So I'm expecting we will see nothing this weekend beyond just showing the matches because the players is everything for NBC in their golf Yeah, coverage. most of the games this weekend are on Peacock. Uh, I think that's, that's your game to watch this weekend, Manchester United against Spurs, uh, 12.30 Eastern Time, Saturday on the Peacock. Mine too. I mean, it's going to be a great game to watch. But it, 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 to, me, to me, it's disappointing with NBC Sports. And, and I realize they're in a difficult position because they don't have NBCSN and the Olympic coverage. They've got commitments that they have to continue. Uh, and we have, I think, one more week of Paralympics. So it's not going to end anytime soon. And then it, I think peak, the Peacock thing is the thing that's the issue for me is that um, because they're not doing the pregame, they have the talent there in the studio, but I mean, it's just it's just that it's I don't know if it's an internal fight between the television side of the business and the Peacock side of the business where they don't want it to mix too much. That if a game is going to be on Peacock, okay, it's on Peacock, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Or, or the television side it is just a mess. Chris, let me. Let me tell you how this looks from the outside. Um, and this isn't necessarily how I feel. I think I'm still more sympathetic towards NBC. I realize they've had the Olympics. I realize this weekend Players' Championship is a huge event for NBC on their calendar. And um, unfortunately for you, Chris, it, it complicates your local area. By the way, for listeners who don't know, Chris lives about as close to uh, Sawgrass, TPC at Sawgrass, as you can live without living at the golf course. Um, you're right around the corner from there. So, uh, But I understand that they have these other other events. And there was something else going on. Uh, oh, the Super Super Bowl, right, that too. So I, I respect that, but I think from outside, it looks like NBC went all out in the fall when the rights the right ex, rights extension and the bidding war was going on. The rights extension was handing, ha- hanging in the balance. And then since they've secured the extension, it feels like they pulled back on their coverage. Now, I don't necessarily think that's true, but that's how uh, two people I respect a lot who, who watch this stuff are – kind of analyzing it, which I, I think is a dangerous place for NBC. Well, Kartik, you have to remember, we've got six more years of this. <laughs> it's, it's a long, it's a long right. haul. I mean, I mean, so once the, the Paralympics is over, then I think things will be back to normal. So basically within the next like week to 10 days, things will be back to normal. But there's no guarantee of that. But if you had to do power rankings, Kartik, and you, you took the four major... Uh, sports broadcasters in the U.S. that cover soccer. So it's you mean NBC, CBS, Fox, and ESPN. How would you rank those four from 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 best to worst right now based on on the soccer coverage? Not 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 what rights they have, but in terms 
so, 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 so this is an interesting question because this this came up the other day when I was on Daniel Forrestine's show talking about the Turner deal with U.S. Uh, with the U.S. men's and women's national teams. That for whatever reason, ESPN's coverage looks very similar from soccer league to soccer league that they cover throughout the globe, right? Whereas CBS's coverage looks complete CBS's coverage of the Champions League looks completely different than their Serie A coverage which looks different than their NWSL coverage so so comparing CBS and ESPN now that we had that conversation on air becomes a little more complicated for me because I realize they're doing it completely differently right one has kind of a a a uh, approach that uh, we're going to treat everything with an equal amount of seriousness and intensity, and we're going to broadcast each league in the same fashion and each competition, each international competition. And the other has okay, these e- leagues are all individual and different, and we're going to co- uh, we're going to cover them differently. So, I guess based on that and my personal preferences, I would go one ESPN to CBS, which I, I I realize if if you feel differently that that uh, the coverage you like the fact that the Serie A coverage is different than the Champions League coverage, um, then maybe you flip them. I can totally respect that. Three NBC, four Fox. However, I do think if NBC continues on this trajectory, Fox will pass them. Yeah, so mine's similar. So number one, I'd say is CBS, hands down. I mean, and you just have to look at the, the Champions League coverage this week. Uh, the segment pre-match before PSG and Real Madrid, where they had uh, Thierry Henry in the studio going step by step, actually taking you through the, kind of the thought process of Kylian uh, Mbappe as far as he means, he's going towards goal. What is he thinking? What is he trying to do? And then you had uh, uh, Micah Richards and uh, Jimmy Carragher's defenders trying to figure out a way to to defend against him. And and for me as a soccer fan and as a, as a former soccer player, you know what I mean? I can relate to that. And, and even if I'm not a former soccer player uh, or, or I'm a, a new soccer fan, it puts me in the mind of a soccer player. So so that's just one example. There's, there's many different examples. But I'd say CBS, hands down, number one. Number two would be ESPN. I think more so from the consistency. Um, you, you, can t- you can tell they're trying hard. Number three, I'd say is Fox. Fox, although I don't like a lot of the talent in terms of I think they can do better with talent and I don't like uh, a lot of their coverage, at least they're going out and, and, and trying really hard. I mean, they've got games the last two weekends. They've had games on over the air Fox on Saturday nights in prime time. And I think the coverage that they did, they did from Charlotte for the opening game um, Oh, well, basically home opener for Charlotte against LA Galaxy, kind of pitch side right there. I thought it was very good. And number four, I'd say is NBC right now because they're just all over the place. I just, I just don't know. Again, I, I don't know if it's just constraints and they can't do as much as they want to do or if they're just stretched too thin or it's if it's budget cuts or if it's just kind of a they're not in alignment with Peacock and they're trying to figure out what the strategy is. It just seems like two separate, completely different separate companies where Peacock is doing one thing and the television side is doing another. And it just, I don't know, it just does not seem fluid uh, or natural the way things are right now at NBC. Again, hopefully things will change in the next uh, week to 10 days. But there's my top four. 
Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that. Again, I, I I prefer the consistency of ESPN, which is why I opted for them over CBS, but I can completely see the argument for CBS because you could say CBS respects each competition and its audience maybe more than ESPN does because they, 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 they conform their coverage to that audience and to the culture of those leagues. Or, or As I said, they can cover NWSL completely different than they cover the Champions League, and they cover Champions League differently than they cover Serie A. Um, and on the Fox ESPN, ESPN, uh, Fox versus NBC conversation. I, like I said, I'm going NBC third now with the assumption they bounce back in the next 10 days. Uh, if they don't, uh, then, uh, then yeah, I agree with you. And, and last thing, I, again, uh, this is the thing that bugs me. Monday evening, they had uh, Burmeister, uh, Higginbottom, and, and Howard in studio, and it was great. So they can do it. They can have that. They could, they could, they could have done that same studio show all weekend. <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> but for some reason they did. Yeah, but, but but that's post match, and that's post match on USA Network. So pre match, right. there was no pre match. Pre match was kick, again, kicked off at three. Uh, broadcast started at three. However, Peacock has the Premier League uh, TV channel, which has Match Day Live, which has pre game coverage, and from two p.m. to two thirty, you had Steve Bauer talking to. Uh, Michael Owen and some other, other former players. I think Slavin Bilic was there. You had a really good discussion from 2 to 2.30. Usually, 99.9% of the time, Peacock and NBC Sports blacks out any pregame coverage or any uh, match day live coverage uh, from Peacock and the Premier League TV channel. And it's good coverage. It's not the greatest, but it's good coverage. So, it it's almost as if you mean they want to make sure that uh, everyone watches NBC's coverage. They don't want people to start uh, getting too attached to the coverage from Premier League TV channel. And instead, we get the Premier League TV channel, just the regular shows, which are okay, but they're not really kind of uh, match focused, so to speak. So it's um, you mean I don't know, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see on that on that one. Kartik on uh, oh gosh. This was this was something that happened sat- Saturday, which was just a. This was some of the worst hooliganism I've ever seen in my life. I mean, and, and I've I grew up in the UK in the late seventies, early eighties, and went to a lot of stadiums and saw um, saw fights, but nothing to this extent. But then also saw television coverage of things that were happening in the grounds and read the stories about fans being stabbed and knifed and things like that. Um, just the worst kind of period of. British hooliganism, uh, so much so that, you I mean, for a long time in the United States, if you mentioned the word soccer, uh, the first thing people would say was like, ah, hooligans, who could possibly watch or follow or support a, a sport like that because of, of all the hooligans? And, and it's taken decades in the United States for uh, people to mention the word soccer and not think of hooliganism as the first word that comes out of their mouths. Now, in Mexico this past weekend, uh, for anyone who missed it, uh, Saturday night there was a Liga MX game between Queretaro uh, uh, and uh, Club At- Atlas. And this is a uh, two teams in, in the top division of Mexico. Uh, the fans have a lot of you know, kind of kind of a kind of a, basically a huge huge rivals. So they've had a lot of kind of hatred between each uh, a supporters base, and the game got postponed or suspended in about the 60th minute because there were thousands of fans fighting and and this was on on tv on on tv cameras you could see them fighting in the in the stands um and 
there were families, there were wives, there were children, and it, it spilled out onto the pitch. Absolutely hor- horrible to see. Um, oh man, Kartik, did, did, how did you experience it? Did you did you watch it? Or were you able to kind of watch any any of the coverage of this? Yeah, I got a lot of the coverage after the fact. It was a it was a terrible, terrible thing, and something that. Um, you don't want seeing covered heavily in the United States, and unfortunately it was covered heavily in the United States because that stigma comes back. That stigma about football hooliganism, which the the sport has, has worked so hard to overcome uh, all over the globe, uh, comes back. And in the U.S., it's something that gets uh, exploited by people who don't like the sport. Quite honestly, it's a big part of their talking point against the sport and old habits die hard. You know, you, you know, a lot of pe- I know a lot a fair amount of people who still talk about football hooliganism uh, who are not football fans, who are uh, really anti football, right? Or baseball fans or American football fans who still use it as a talking point, uh, stuff that happened in the 1980s. So that's my concern about it from a U.S. perspective. Obviously, the the event itself was horrific and terrible. And uh, FIFA and CONCACAF have come down and Liga Mekis harder than I thought they might. Yeah, I have to give them credit. All the governing bodies in this case, they've, they've done a really thorough job of this, of, of dealing well, with it. Yeah, I, I disagree there. Because, I mean, FIFA came out and said that uh, basically saying that we uh, you mean, can't believe the, the, the level of violence. CONCACAF says something similar, basically saying like, oh, this is horrible. Can't believe the level of violence. Uh, they, they did nothing. CONCACAF did nothing. FIFA did nothing. Now, Liga MX did something, and they're uh, banning the, uh, the the home fans, the Barra Barra, the, kind of the ultras, um, as well as, I think I believe, if I remember correctly, bar- bar- barring some of the away fans. Um, but the crazy thing is that this happened Saturday evening, and there were still games happening later on Saturday, and there were games happening on on. Actually, I think I think no, the Saturday. So Liga MX still kept on playing games, but I mean, some if you saw some of the videos and pictures outside the stadium or some of them inside, horrific, obscene, just like so bad. I, I didn't show any any members of my family. I'm like, you, you can't see this. This this is horrible, yeah, disgusting, yeah. absolutely disgusting. And the thing is, is that. Um, Football Americas, the show that's uh, Herc, uh, Gomez and Sebastian Salazar, it's on ESPN+. Plus. They do a, a weekly show where they do a, kind of a, a deep dive into a bunch of topics. Uh, this week was supposed to be kind of, I think, the one-year anniversary of the show. And they were planning a whole bunch of stuff to kind of you know, talk about the anniversary and all some, some great feel-good stories. So they went ahead smartly and said, OK, we're going to take an entire hour and we're going to do a deep dive on the situation. Why is it happening in Mexico? What's why weren't the security and police involved trying to break this through? What's the the history between these two teams and these fans? How much power do the ultras have? And honestly, Kartik, I think this. I mean, it was Emmy award winning coverage. So good from Sebastian Salazar and. Um, and Herc Gomez, Hercules Gomez, as well as uh, Mauricio Pedroza, who was there too, just like pouring out their feelings about what happened, trying to explain it and answering all the questions. Because when this happened, there were unconfirmed reports on Saturday that there were deaths, uh, multiple deaths. And there were pictures on social media that showed people that, that it was like, these people are dead. There's no way that they survived this. However, officially... 
officially there's no deaths. There's been many injuries. There's been people critically injured, but no deaths. And so Sebastian and Hercules and Mauricio go into a lot of detail in terms of explaining why why we're hearing this, why we're what the whole controversy around the deaths is, because that is a big part of this. Oh man, but but Carter, did you get a chance to watch it yet? Uh, yeah, I did, and, and I think they've done a a thorough job, an incredible job, which we expect from Seb and and Herc, and and the thing that's so. I think important about football America is not notwithstanding all the great things they say about U.S. soccer and the U.S. men's national team that maybe don't get aired uh, on rights holders on their actual broadcasts. Uh, but that's another another conversation for another day. Is that they have given the uh, the Mexican football and Liga Mekis the sort of English language coverage it's never had in this country. If you know where to find that show and watch that show, and that's, I know, a pet peeve of both of ours in terms of ESPN's marketing of the show. Yeah, on a scale of uh, 1 to 10, it's a 10 out of 10, that specific episode. Actually, most episodes are really good, too, because they yeah, they, yeah. they are unfiltered, just as we are. In some ways, I feel almost like kind of a connection with, with those guys, too, because they do their coverage and kind of have an unfiltered uh, aspect of you, as we do here, too. And, um, yeah, it's a 10 out of 10. It, it is required viewing. Um, whether you saw the story or you want to better understand it, it's just really, really good. I mean, I, I can't fault it at all. But Kartik, one of the questions that came up was, I think, from uh, Seb Salazar. He mentioned to Her- Go- uh, Hercules Gomez. He said, Hercules, um, what's been the response from, from Major League Soccer? What's been their statement about this? Because Liga MX is tied very closely with Major League Soccer. We know in 2023, they're going to be launching the, the new and improved uh, Leagues Cup, which is a joint tournament. Um, what's happening is that Liga MX is going to shut down for a whole entire month, as is Major League Soccer in the summer. And those teams will play each other in a tournament. Now, that's just one example. Another example is that uh, the MLS All-Star Game, uh, Liga MX last season, and it's very likely that Liga MX will be featured in upcoming seasons too of, of that uh, uh, tournament, that All-Star Game. So, And then at the same time too, there's been a lot of discussion about perhaps uh, the leagues looking for other opportunities to work closely together. Then you have Soccer United Marketing, which is the marketing arm of Major League Soccer, which represents the Mexican national team, which uh, sets up a lot of the events for the Mexican national team in the United States and uh, shares the revenue there. The ties are very, very close, and no response from Major League Soccer as far as um, Football America's reported. And to me, for the League's Cup, the League's Cup, you and I know, Kartik, from our reporting, that the League's Cup is part of this MLS TV deal. It's happening in the next couple of weeks. If I'm a broadcaster or I'm an investor, I, I'm going to be questioning this whole deal. Not only part of the the deal. I, well, maybe it's part of the deal. Okay, maybe I have a different view on it. I uh, have written at WorldSoccerTalk.com that I think it is a big part of the deal. It is a big part of the inducement to get uh, a higher fee than last time. And, uh, and we're going to talk about MLS TV ratings in a minute. Uh, and to kind of work a buffer around the fact that television ratings are not quite where they were supposed to be at this time. And again, I want to point out, Chris, uh, the critics of, of this 
this podcast and of our website keep saying that we criticize MLS and their TV ratings are good and this and that, okay? We judge MLS by where they publicly stated and where they privately told broadcasters based on our sourcing and our reporting that ratings would be in 2022, not based on any other metric. The metric you and I use and and our site uses is based largely on the expectations they alone set. They haven't met those expectations. So how do they get around that to get more money out of this next TV deal? They co-mingle with Liga Emekis and this, uh, this competition Leagues Cup. But now there's serious questions around it. And maybe it could be cleared up with one statement from MLS. Maybe it could be worked around. But they seem unwilling to do that. And we're recording this on Thursday, which is now five days since the event. And uh, several days since Liga Mekis itself acted, several days since, yeah, maybe you're right, FIFA and CONCACAF, I'm giving them credit because I think they empowered the league to do what the league needed to do. But several days since they've made statements. So what's MLS's uh, position on this? Yeah, the timing of this couldn't be worse because looking ahead to the 2023 Leagues Cup, and remember this deal that's going to be announced in the next uh, couple of weeks, this will be a deal that starts in 2023. Um I mean, with the League's Cup, I mean, how does this impact things? Is it going to be that now all of the games in the League's Cup will be played in the United States for safety reasons, not just for the players, uh, but for the fans? Or are you going to have Major League Soccer teams playing in Mexico, you know, home and away games, and you've got uh, teams going to Carretaro, uh, uh, Carretaro sorry, um, to play there, which I know that the, I think the, home fans are banned from being there so there'll be empty stadiums anyway but but still no matter where it is in, in Liga Max uh, there's going to be some situations too where you have the ultras involved and they're going to be I mean basically um, creating a very hostile environment for the fans and for the players so if you have American soccer fans I mean, maybe it's um, you know, Seattle Sounder fans or NYCFC fans or whatever it may be traveling south to Mexico to watch these games in person as an away contingent, which in the last few years we've seen more of this happening than probably ever before in Major League Soccer, where you do have a lot of uh, fans going to away games now. You di- didn't used to see that, say, 10 years ago that much. Um, it creates a very difficult situation. If you're a sponsor or you're a broadcaster you don't want to be broadcasting uh, images of fans fighting against each other in the stadiums. And we saw the lack of security at that, at that uh, Liga MX game. Where, where were the police? Where were the security? Um, they were able, I mean, basically, the fans were kind of uh, had, had, had kind of a, a free reign to basically invade that stadium and just attack each other uh, in front of the TV cameras. So, it it's an issue, and I'm I'm sure there's been some difficult uh, conversations this week uh, between Major League Soccer and Liga MX to say what's going on. Like, you mean are, are we in this deal together? What are you doing to make sure that the security is going to be locked down and, and things are going to be a lot safer? Because this is not a good look for Liga MX, and as Major League Soccer, more than any other league in the world, is so connected to Liga Liga MX, this has the the possibility of making MLS look bad too. They, they don't want to go into a deal for the next five or six years with TV broadcasters uh, that, you I mean, if Liga MX is going to, if this violence is going to continue and they're going to have kind of a, a bad name attra- attached to that league, that dilutes or actually brings down Major League Soccer in terms of, of that league too. It's a very, very difficult situation. I, 
and, and I'm sure we'll find out some more probably next week um, at Soccer X. With Soccer X, uh, the head of Liga MX, the president of Liga MX, I think uh, Mikel Ariola is scheduled to speak, as is Don Garber. Kartik, you'll be there in Miami uh, for Soccer X on Tuesday and Wednesday. But it'll be interesting to see what they say because this is a this is a huge story. And again, too, for anyone that hasn't seen any of the scenes, if you're willing to stomach it, take a look on social media or you mean basically watch Football Americas, and that'll give you a really deep dive because then you'll see how serious the situation is. Now, Kartik, you mentioned uh, TV ratings, and um, we got to go there because I mean this next MLS TV deal. Uh, you and I have been. I'd say we've been very um, positive, kind of very optimistic about Major League Soccer in terms of this next TV deal, uh, TV rights deal, media rights deal, because there are a lot of things in this that are attractive to um, broadcasters, whether you're a streaming company or a TV company. Uh, this has the opportunity of being a big deal for Major League Soccer. However, this is the, what this, we're now two weeks into the Major League Soccer season 2022 getting ready for the for the third week tv viewership still is not what it should be it's not so the past two weeks um on saturdays prime time on fox over the air television we've had some some big games and the big games on the first week was portland against uh nycfc and then last weekend was just charlotte against la galaxy and both of these games were good the television coverage was good. It was exciting to watch. There was definitely a lot of things to watch from, from a, a viewing perspective that you would think that would kind of entertain viewers, whether casuals or hardcore fans or, or just people that, that have no interest in soccer but are just watching it. However, primetime on Fox, over-the-air network, Saturday nights, and the TV coverage is not even hitting 500,000 viewers. The Charlotte LA Galaxy game last weekend, 475,000 viewers. The um, Portland NYCFC game, which I don't have in front of me the actual number, but it was less than 500. It was between 400 and, and 475, if I, if I remember correctly. Kartik, and then also, I mean, the ESPN numbers aren't anything to, to write home about either. W what's going on? Like, what's your what's your take on this? I don't know. I don't have an explanation other than maybe the season starting. I don't know. The season actually didn't start earlier than well, a than little it bit, started. a little bit, a, a little bit, slightly. Uh, well, no, because there was a season that they were going to start in February, and I think that that COVID got in the way, right? Or am I correct? There was a season they started in 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 late February, two seasons ago, and then the season got uh, uh, halted by COVID after two weeks. But I think they had started the same weekend. Uh, so I. Uh, I don't know, and that, that that season, by the way, I think the ratings. The first game was uh, was actually Inter Miami and LAFC on ESPN that got close to five hundred thousand viewers. So certainly, uh, uh, certainly, they didn't have that problem that season. So I, I, I don't on, know. I I, can, I don't yeah. have an explanation. Honestly, Kartik, I think part of it uh, seriously is the the U.S. men's national team not qualifying for the two thousand and eighteen World Cup. I think I think every World Cup that the U.S. doesn't qualify for sets this country back, especially with that with that audience. Because I think you would attract a whole bunch of American new soccer fans into it that would be natural I, I, natural fit for MLS. 
I disagree because in 2019 or and 2020 we didn't see this at the beginning of the season. So, uh, and 2021 was delayed obviously because of uh, of COVID, but uh, we didn't see this in seasons after or 2018 actually, the, which because the US didn't qualify in 2017 for the World Cup. Now the World Cup hadn't taken pl- place yet in 2018 when the 2018 season kicked off. So I don't think that's it. Look, I I, I have to admit I haven't watched a minute of MLS myself. I, I it kind of snuck up on me. I wasn't even aware the season was starting until we did this podcast that week. And and uh, I uh, had the date fixed for March 12th because that's when USL starts. For whatever reason, I thought MLS was starting the same day, which clearly, it had, I mean, that would be the third week of MLS. But maybe there are people like me and the ratings will pick up. Uh, I, and there's the burnout factor also. Again, I um, now I know MLS had started, but I had no desire to watch any match uh, and not, no awareness of when the matches were going on because there's all this other all these other matches around Europe going on, and uh, quite frankly, there's a war going on too that's that's taking my attention away. So maybe that has something to do with it. But we haven't uh, we haven't seen that I know of a drop off in numbers for. Premier League matches yet. Then again, so many of these Premier League matches have been on Peacock. Maybe if they were showing the natural, the normal allotment on regular television, uh, there would be a drop off. So I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's war related. Yeah. So, so for co- comparison's sake here, so Liverpool against West Ham last Saturday on NBC had uh, nine hundred thousand viewers. Uh, the Manchester derby on USA Network on Sunday, eight hundred seventy-four thousand viewers. Uh, Watford, Watford against Arsenal on Sunday morning, five hundred thirteen thousand viewers. Burnley, oh, wow. Burnley, okay. Burnley against yep. Chelsea on Saturday uh, on USA Network was four hundred seventy-two thousand viewers. So, uh, so those, yeah. and that's with several other matches going on at the same time. Right. There were a no, there were a lar- a number of ten. Uh, 3 p.m. kickoffs this week, actually, on Saturday. So, 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 wow. so, I mean, so the two other things about this too, Kartik, is week one was uh, Portland against NYCFC. Again, we've spoken repeatedly about MLS keeps on trying to make the, the, the New York market work in terms of TV viewership nationally, and people don't care. I mean, NYCFC, even winning... Uh, Winning all, all these trophies, nobody cares, right? So NYCFC, the away team in the first leg, and, and no, no more than, um, what, 475,000 viewers for that. And then the game this past weekend was Charlotte against LA Galaxy. Again, Los Angeles is another market that MLS has been really trying extremely hard to get a national viewership for LA Galaxy too. And again, yet again, those numbers don't uh, result in massive ratings. Um the other thing about this two car ticket was there was a graphic that was posted this week on social media uh, by L.W. Johnson, uh, Helltown Beer, and it shows from this past uh, weekend ESPN's coverage, and it shows from 7 a.m. all the way through till about 10 p.m. that night. So it shows kind of as the day started, kind of what the viewership was. Um, started off with like at seven o'clock in the morning on, on a Sunday. You had two hundred and sixty-four thousand people watching Sports Center. Then by eleven o'clock, uh, still watching Sports Center. Now that's at four hundred and sixty-four thousand uh, viewers. Um, then between like noon and two p.m., you have women's college basketball. Then the number increases to five hundred twenty thousand viewers. So as the day goes on, more and more people are tuning in and starting to watch sports on ESPN. Then you have Major League Soccer. So the drop off, so from from basically from like roughly four o'clock, uh, five hundred twenty thousand viewers watching women's college basketball. 
then at four o'clock, the broadcast starts for um, the MLS game, and it drops from five hundred twenty thousand viewers to one hundred fifty four thousand viewers. It's a big drop off. And then what? I, Go ahead. I, I, it's oh, to what extent is ESPN responsible? Because uh, I uh, I've watched more college basketball this season than I have in five five years or more, and I notice on the ticker uh, on ESPN if there's any sort of news, player signing, player suspension, anything. In a major European league, it shows up on the ticker. MLS, they just cycle through the scores as quickly as they can and move on to uh, uh, other other sports or, or, or other soccer news. So maybe ESPN themselves are not promoting MLS the way they should, even in these kind of subtle ways. Then again, no, the news may not affect anyone because no one knows the players in MLS, right? If something happens with Neymar, they're going to put it on the ticker for all sports fans because I guess all sports fans know who yeah, Neymar yeah. is, right? Maybe that's what it is. Well. Maybe not this episode, but maybe one episode we can go down the list of all the different excuses that a lot of people make when MLS ratings are lower. Uh, what I mean, not 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 to uh, I, uh, isolate you, Kartik, but one of the things is always like advertising, lack of advertising. You know, how can MLS uh, grow when there's no advertising? And I would argue that actually, if, if anything, over the last. 10 to 15 years, well, say, say 10 years, 10 years is no league in the United States has been promoted more so in soccer than Major League Soccer. You watch any Fox broadcast, you watch even uh, ESPN's broadcast when they do an FA Cup. They're like, OK, coming up uh, later today, we've got an MLS game. John Champion all, always kind of dropping in like a, uh, a 2.45 tune in for uh, MLS, blah, 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 whatever it may be. Um, and and you don't see that as much on like say if you're watching an MLS game you don't hear them okay all right come up uh, next week we've got an FA Cup game, I mean so anyway so let me go back to the chart for a second so 154,000 viewers for uh, MLS game this past Sunday at four o'clock, huge drop off as soon as the MLS game is over then the numbers go up again to 454,000 viewers for NBA pregame. Then they rise to 711,000. Then for the game itself, on uh, the NBA game on uh, ESPN, then it's up to 1.2 million and so on and so forth. So visually, you're looking at this graph. If I'm ESPN, Kartik, and I know that now that I've lost the rights to the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team, uh, which was the main reason that ESPN got the rights to MLS in 2015 is that they wanted to have the rights to the U.S. men and U.S. women's games. Those are big games. Now, having lost that to Warner Media to, to Turner Sports, how much of an incentive is there for ESPN to say, we're going to go ahead and, and re-sign our deal with Major League Soccer? I, I don't know. I don't think there really is. I, 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 uh, I get to. I think that there's a, there's two schools of thought. ESPN will want some sort of anchor in the domestic soccer space still, uh, which is beyond USL, right? They do have USL rights. They're showing a, a number of USL games on uh, linear television this season, but they want the first division in this country from a prestige standpoint. The flip side is. I understand more and more Disney shareholders are kind of getting disgusted with MLS not meeting the expectations that were set. Again, for people who would like to criticize this podcast that were and, and our website, expectations that were set by MLS themselves in conversations with Disney, the rights holder, or ESPN being uh, uh, owned by Disney. So uh, there is a... Uh, 
probably not very much incentive, quite frankly, for them to keep the rights. I, I don't know what, who's going to win out. And if they do keep the rights, maybe it's in a slim down fashion. I think uh, I think th- them putting 10 matches on ABC this year will give us a real sense. If those ABC numbers aren't any higher than they've been, although by that time the, the rights would have been settled. But I, I, I think uh, – um, that's uh, that's to me interesting because the other thing we found with ESPN is they start putting events on ABC as they're losing uh, the rights. So we saw them do it with the U.S. Women's National Team a couple of weeks ago. The New Zealand game was on ABC. A couple of days later, the U- U.S. Soccer Federation announces this deal with Turner Sports, which takes the rights away from ESPN. They had to have known it at the time. We saw them do it with Serie A last year. They had never put a game on ABC after CBS got the rights to Serie A, they put a, a match on ABC. So maybe it's going to be the same thing with MLS. If I was ESPN, Kartik, I would say ESPN Plus would be very interested because there's the, a sheer quantity of games. Um, there's definitely a loyal audience that, that like ESPN Plus with all the MLS games and USL games available, as well as the Bundesliga, especially with the uh, some of the US men's national team players playing in that league. But I think for me, if I'm ESPN, I'm like, hey, MLS would be a great ESPN plus um, continuation television. mm, Not so much. I mean, just because they don't have the rights to the World Cup. They don't have the rights to the Euros. They don't have the rights to the US men or women um, after this year. So what is the what's what's the anchor? The anchor is La Liga. And the Bundesliga, those are the, the two top leagues that they have right now if they did lose MLS on the TV side. And, and we know that La Liga, most of those games, actually all the games are on ESPN+. Plus. Now and again, you'll have a game on television. Same thing with the Bundesliga. All those games are on television. Now and again, you'll have a... a uh, all those games are on ESPN+. Plus. Now and again, you'll have a game on, on television. But... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just I just think I think MLS I think ESPN ESPN has done a good job of uh, um, promoting not just promoting broadcasting Major League Soccer, and I think there's been a lot of innovations, even the the goalpost cams and the coverage that they've done. I think John Champion and Taylor Twellman have done a great job um, adding excitement to games and kind of make, making them feel more meaningful, which sometimes they are, and 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 that's and that's the. The challenge at the end of the day is that I would I would argue that, well, let's go back to the to the the, the TV ratings question. Why why are people not tuning in to watch these games in the the quantities the the numbers that we think that they should be? Honestly, I still feel that uh, not qualifying for the last World Cup is a factor where you've lost a lot of fans, where they're disillusioned, and now they're not soccer fans anymore. Or there's other fans that, uh, or sports fans, that didn't become soccer fans, that probably would have become soccer fans if the United States had played in that competition. So that's one thing. But at the end of the day, there's so much coverage available to choose from. If you are, If you're a soccer fan and you don't have any allegiances, you're going to watch the best of the best. So now that's going to differ from person to person, but whether it's Copa Libertadores, whether it's Champions League, whether it's Premier League, Serie A, I mean Bundesliga, I mean Argentine football, Liga MX, whatever it may be, you're going to, you're going to watch the best of the best, and the best of the best is not Major League Soccer. So you're you're going to probably watch the things that interest you the most, and and if there's a local attachment to an MLS team, you will probably watch that local team. But you're not interested in in the the league as a whole. 
ProRail. You got to mention ProRail, Kartik, as a factor. What's how? Wh- why are these games? Are these games meaningful during the the regular season? For the most part, no, because you I mean a large number of these teams qualify for the playoffs, and that's when the competition competition really starts. Really, that that's when it gets interesting. Really interesting. So there's a, a lot of factors that at play here, and I think that. Uh, Major League Soccer's got a problem, and right now, again, it's the worst possible timing for this type of information uh, getting out there. And the numbers are the numbers. You mean we're not inflating them or uh, kind of uh, changing the numbers to? You mean the numbers are the numbers? I, and I was flabbergasted. I was really surprised at how low the number was for Charlotte LA Galaxy. And we had some some of our listeners say that yes, there was a I think a Duke UNC basketball game on at the same time. But there's always other sports on at the same time. And, and yes, that would have been a big game. But there's always other sports happening at the same time as Major League Soccer. Ma- Major League Soccer not only has to compete against, um, you mean, the, the top soccer leagues from around the world, well, but also well, other sports. What, the, what time did that uh, that game Six. start, the uh, the Charlotte uh, game? I think 7.30. I think it was like 7.30. Then the, the, yeah, the Duke-UNC game was ending around that time. So... Uh, <laughs> I, I actually the Duke UNC game I missed much of it because I had thought it was an eight o'clock game and it was a prime time game for Coach K's last ma- uh, game at Cameron Indoor and I turned it on and the game was ending so uh, I, uh, I I don't think it really maybe the end of it uh, competed with the beginning of the, this game but it, I, I think that game was not uh, competing against it for the most part. All right, Kartik, let's move on to listen the mailbag. Um... MLS TV deal. Kyle has a question. Kyle says, with the MLS deal coming up, do you think they'll have a Sunday night football or a Monday night football so they have at least one set primetime date and time, unlike the European leagues who have their set uh, times and dates for the most part? Uh, you, you, you want that set sense of consistency um, and you get that with the European leagues, unlike MLS, where kickoff times for the national TV games are all over the place. It's hard to keep up on what time and channel the games are on. So, Kartik, I think a part of the reason for that, too, is that um, while you would love to have a Saturday night football or a Monday night football for MLS, is that you're not the top dog. I mean, so if you're an ESPN or if you're a uh, Fox uh, chances are you've got other sports happening at the same time or you know, across the entire weekend. And if you're a Major League Soccer, you're sitting down with Fox or an ESPN and trying to cherry pick the times and, and blocks of time where you can have a game where it's not going to be uh, overlapping, you mean golf or something else happening at the same time. But the whole Saturday night football, we've been there, done that, Kartik. Do you remember that? Yeah, and, and, and uh, we had uh, the uh, the Saturday Night Football, which was on uh, which was on NBC, right? They promoted it as uh, as that, and then we also had Soccer Night in America on Fox. That didn't work. Now I know Taylor Twelman has said consistently that he feels like a Thursday night game uh, would work for, and I, I think it might. But then uh, what happens come college football season when ESPN is showing Thursday night football every week, and uh, the, the would the ratings um, be what other events would be on Thursday nights and. MLS is a league obsessed with ticket sales and with uh, attendance numbers. Uh, They have to get away from that model, but they continue to be, at least in terms of their public relations campaign, obsessed with that. So they try and minimize games that are not on, um, on weekends or on Wednesdays specifically. 
for attendance purposes. So that's that's part of the the difficulty. So when you're working around those those things, it, it's difficult. Now, I actually agree that if MLS had a consistent date and time, their ratings would be higher. But it's an opportunity cost for the networks by giving them a consistent date and time that might be attractive. You're bumping something that probably is more attractive for your viewers. Yeah, that's that's the challenge though. We we've done Thursday night football. We've done Saturday night football with MLS. We've had we've done Friday night football. Uh probably the only we've had Sunday night football in many ways uh with MLS. So Sunday nights would have been FS1, which those numbers for the last couple of years uh were pretty plateau, pretty weak. Uh usually less than 200,000 viewers for that. We've done the su- Saturday night football with MLS. Uh, like you mentioned, the two different examples. The Friday night football was something that Univision and Tudo NA did for a while uh, in the summer months. That was fun to do, fun to watch, uh, but I don't think the ratings were anything to, to write home about. And then Thursday night football, uh, was it ESPN? Oh, that's been done in the past too, and I don't think those numbers were great either. I think at the end of the day, if the game is big enough and the teams are interesting enough and there's a reason and it's a meaningful game to watch, people will tune in. So if you had Sevilla against West Ham United, uh, I mean, if that game was of, of ult- I mean, ma- massive importance for whatever reason, uh, that kind of you mean attracted people outside of Sevilla and West Ham fans and said, okay, that is the game to watch. That game has to be the one that everyone has, has to watch because of reasons one, two, three. People will find a way to watch that game. They will they'll they'll change their plans. They will watch that game no matter where it's at. So I think that's part of it too. Is MLS trying to find that window of time that where they can show the games? Um, but they've got so much competition on on the soccer side and on the other sports side. At least with soccer, if you're the Premier League, what competition do you have? The competition that you have on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning is what sometimes college football but for the most part you've got a window of time where you don't have that much competition so yeah so good good stuff Kyle. good question and uh sunday night football i don't know i, I don't think that's the issue yes it, yes there's definitely benefits of having that where there's a consistent uh window of time that you can watch games at but i still think that um that's not going to solve anything. That's not going to make things better other than to get people used to watching those games at that time. It doesn't mean that the ratings are going to grow. It's just make, it makes it easier to fi- figure out when those games are on. There has to be other reasons why you want to watch more of a meaningful game. Next up is RJ. RJ has a question about being sports and Kartik. Maybe you can uh, correct RJ on this one. Can you give us a quick rundown of the tie-ins between the Saudi royal family BN Sports, PSG, Ligue 1, and their football empire. It always seems to come up, but I've never known the details. So uh, BN Sports is actually opposed by the Saudi royal family. In fact, they set up a, uh, a, a, pirate, a channel with pirated streams uh, called BN uh, – what was it called? BN Out Q? BN Q Out? Yeah, BN, yeah that, that was uh, meant to get at BN Sports. BN Sports and PSG – uh, Liga, uh, that's uh, that's the that's Qatar, which um, is a nation also in the Gulf, but uh, was until recently under a four four and a half year embargo from Saudi Arabia. So they're actually enemy states. And if you if you notice Al Jazeera, which is Vian's parent company and is uh, uh, 
connected to the government of Qatar has been very critical of, of human rights practices and, and foreign po- the foreign policy of the Saudi royal family. So uh, Saudi the Saudi royal family is tied into Newcastle United now. And there was a member of the royal family who had some investment in Sheffield United uh, at, at one point. But there is no tie to be in PSG and Liga. In fact, they're on the opposite side. The um, owners of Manchester City... Uh, which are from the royal family of Abu Dhabi. Now, they are more closely aligned with Saudi Arabia, though not absolutely aligned with them. There are some areas of separation uh, recently, but they are more aligned with the Saudis than the owners of PSG. Yeah, and definitely it's uh, it's interesting too because PSG is owned by Qatar Sports Investments, which is the uh, basically Qatar you know, royal family, right? Kind of uh, the people that run uh, Qatar... Uh, and the person that runs is the president of PSG is Nasser uh, El Khalafi, who is uh, the top dog at BN Sports, and and with uh, with PSG being the you know, the biggest club in Ligue 1, hands down, um, Qatar definitely has a huge influence, and that's why you see uh, Ligue 1 games on BN Sports. Uh, that's why you see. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, PSG is kind of on television almost every weekend on BN Sports, because, and that's why you'll see a lot more coverage from BN Sports between now and November uh, about the World Cup. There'll be docu- We've seen the documentaries about Qatar, uh, really, really kind of just like uh, soft uh, documentaries, not not hard hitting documentaries by any means. Kind of fluff pieces about Qatar is uh, they're trying to paint Qatar in a good light in terms of whether it's tourism or just culture, etc. Next up is Fetchin. Fetchin wants to talk about Turner Sports, and um, also we'll get into Fox Sports in a little bit too. Fetchin says Warner Media should really invest more on the CW channel to put live sports there. Looks like I have to. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, invest in it. Um, I, I guess it, I think HBO Max. I think it means. Looks like I'm going to have to invest in HBO Max. It's the best streaming. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, best streaming service I've had, uh, but it's on and off. I subscribe to it. Chris says, when it comes to the Turner Sports deal with U.S. soccer, I sincerely hope that more matches of the U.S. Open Cup are shown on either TNT or TBS or even True TV in addition to the national teams. It means a lot to the smaller clubs in the U.S. soccer pyramid for for a variety of reasons to play these games against MLS or USL championship clubs and allows them to be seen by a wider audience. Even if those matches are streamed on HBO Max, it is still a win for these clubs because of the point I made above. I have a question about Fox's World Cup coverage. With the NFL changing their schedule to accommodate Fox's World Cup coverage, do either of you see college football doing the same? Kartik, that's a good question on the uh, college football. How much, how much power does Fox have in terms of talking to some of these college football uh conferences and saying like hey help us out we'll help you out well so i think we've talked about this previously on this podcast i think that there is a a effort by fox to create an anti-espn alliance uh, among college football conferences that are outside uh, ESPN's uh, 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 outside of the ESPN empire and uh, and maybe disaffected with coverage that other leagues get on ESPN. So there's very much an ESPN versus Fox um, 
war brewing in college football and the conferences. This shows you, this is part of the reason we do this podcast, uh, Chris. The power of media and the power of media partners is, is, is overwhelming sports in every sport, not just football, not just so- or soccer, right? Football, I call it football, but uh, not just soccer. College football, American football, is very much now in the conferences are becoming lockstep with their television partners and their television partners are calling the shot. So I do think when it comes to the Big Ten uh, and the Pac-12, there is an ability by Fox to kind of really control those conferences and their TV uh, schedules to the point where they probably will be flexible for that World Cup. But uh, just on a broader thing, this is a huge deal in college football. The uh, ESPN is all in with the SEC, which uh, is kind of like the Premier League in terms of its its scope, its its television money, its uh, dominance in many ways of, of media. Uh, so the anti-SEC uh, conferences are now uh, aligning with Fox. And then you have the ACC, which has a long-term deal with ESPN, which apparently, from what I understand, there's some people in the ACC dissatisfied with what they think is ESPN's preference of the SEC, and they're open to talking to Fox in the future. So um, it's not just a, a soccer thing. This is a, a, a massive, this is the world now, right? Media companies have incredible power. And the last comment we have is from Kyle, a different Kyle. Kyle says, one thing that shocks me is how the winners of the continental titles like the Euros, AFCON, etc. don't get an automatic bid to the World Cup. It's crazy to me that potentially the, the champions of Europe, Italy, Africa, Senegal and North America, USA, might not qualify for the World Cup after winning their respective tournaments over the past year. I know they they had the Confederations Cup, which is now abolished, but it has been odd for me to have the best teams of a respective region not competing with the best teams in the world. I wonder if that's something that FIFA would change to give an automatic automatic bid and to emphasize continental tournaments with the expanded World Cup in the future. And that's a good point and it's a good question, Kyle. I think it's more so to do with um, kind of conflicting powers. So you've got FIFA, the governing body of soccer worldwide, but then you've got UEFA as one example. UEFA is kind of running their own show. Um, and in many ways, I think UEFA has been in a power struggle with FIFA for many, many years. And I think UEFA kind of feels that they're doing a better job at marketing soccer uh, in that region, with given you know, the success of the Champions League and the Europa League, and now uh, the Conference League that they started up, um, and FIFA has been talking about maybe having the expanded Club World Cup and so on and so forth. So, so there's a lot of things that they're they're in competition with each other, e- even though that FIFA is above uh, UEFA in, in the hierarchy. Look, I, I, uh, the, first of all, the, the Continental Championship in CONCACAF is always held in the U.S., so I think it's very unfair to, to award something based on that. It's like the U.S. playing every qualifier at home. Um, and secondly, I think World Cup qualifying, the beauty of it is it's done over a longer period of time, so it evens out over a longer period of time. If a player is injured at a given time or there's some sort of other external factor, that tends to even out over the tw- uh, the, the 14 to 18 months of World Cup qualifying, depending on your region. I, I agree in Africa, it's really hard. It's really difficult. And when we go to a 48-team World Cup, they'll change their World Cup qualifying format, but as much as I love the Euros and AFCON, 
it's a tournament that takes place over a three or four week period. I think it is impossible to make sweeping judgments about it. I would say the same thing about the World Cup, quite frankly. I mean, I think we've been lucky in that Spain was a dominant team in that, that period of time and they won the World Cup and Germany was a dominant team in that period of time and they won the World Cup. But, you know, very often it can go another way. I, I don't think Italy in 2006, any per- time in the period between 2002 and 2010, were they the best team in the world? But they won the World Cup. So it's a cup competition. I I like the fact that to qualify for that cup competition, you have to go through what would be sort of a normal league process with home matches and away matches and and a group stage. And if you qualify automatically, you qualify automatically. If not, you go through a playoff. I think that gets you the best field and the the most just field. not, not nothing against the continental uh, championships and that they exist for a reason, but I don't think they should be tied into World Cup qualifying or supersede World Cup qualifying. Now, Nations League, I feel differently about. The U.S. did win CONCACAF Nations League, and I do think that that should be factored into qualifying because that is a league with home and away matches over a period of time, and I, I'm glad UEFA has factored Nations League into, into qualifying uh, to a certain extent. So that, I would say, Nations League of Africa, had, and Asia go that direction too. That would be great, but not not the uh, not the continental title uh, championships, not the summer events or winter events. Yeah, the other thing about this though too is if you take the example of Italy, who won Euro twenty twenty, and if you said, okay, right now you're automatically qualified for the twenty twenty two World Cup, congratulations. So there goes all of Italy's. Um, opportunities to generate a lot of revenue for both Italy and UEFA from World Cup qualifiers uh, kind of leading up into uh, 2022. Also in terms of, uh, I think even like the, the national team coaches, the actual players would probably prefer to have continue playing meaningful qualifiers going into that 2022 World Cup um, and to stay at a high level. So th- and- Oh, sorry. I was going to say, just in Asia this time, the precedent has been set that Qatar has already qualified automatically as hosts, and they were allowed to participate in qualifying. Now, unfortunately, it's gotten complicated because they ran away with their qualifying group, which meant the second-place team effectively advanced as a group winner, right? But, um, yeah, I think that was the solution to it, right? Qatar was concerned that they weren't going to get competitive matches, and they're hosting the World Cup, so they were allowed to participate in qualifying. But as I said... They ran. I think they might actually be top in all of Asia in terms of qualifying. They might be ahead of Japan and and, uh, and the like. Uh, I would have to check that again. But uh, that's that's the solution, I guess, to that. Maybe is you let those teams participate in qualifying anyway. Yeah, but and also the funny thing is too, right? Because Qatar played in uh, the Gold Cup, so right, they were yeah. <laughs> given a, a a guest spot to continue playing high level games. So yeah, so, so good. That's right. I forgot about that. That's yeah, right. good good feedback there, Kyle. All right. Listeners, if you've got something you want us uh, to ask us or to any feedback or uh, you, you name it in regards to television coverage, streaming solutions, etc., we'd love to read your comments out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on the podcast thread on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, uh, heading into another weekend of football. Um, this Chelsea situation is going to be really interesting to watch to see what happens there, both on and off the pitch. Uh, of course, you've got uh, a lot of big games this weekend too from around the world. What are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Enjoy your football. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.